There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies, like... My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Welcome back to another episode of Open Floor. I'm Rohan Nadkarni, joined today by my friend, colleague, New York Times best-selling author of the book, Blood in the Garden, Chris Herring. Chris, how's it going, buddy? What's good, my G? How are you? Bro, I'm in so deep. Uh, apologies to Daryl Swenson, who stays on our neck, but I got to I gotta divert again real quick. <laughs> we, we, we made it seven show. seconds into <laughs> yeah. the podcast. Bro, I, as you know, like you have Michigan football, I have the Miami Dolphins, who for the most of my life, for most of the last 20 years, have been such a disappointment. I can remember so many embarrassing Dolphins losses that made me so mad. I couldn't talk to people for days. I will sometimes go on the radio local radio in Miami, and there's a show co-hosted by Channing Crowder, Miami Dolphins legend, and I'll just ask him, like, Channing, what were you guys doing when you gave up that quarterback sneak to the Texans in 2009? Like, that's how upset I am still about this team and what they've done to me over the years. And so this year, they're finally having a decent season, finally put together an exciting team, and I've become so NFL-pilled, so deep in on the Miami Dolphins, herring, not only did I buy an NFL football jersey this week, um, the first jersey I've bought in God knows how many years, the Dolphins signed like an offensive tackle, um, like a free agent tackle. And I was like looking up his PFF grade from the last two years. Ooh. Like, can Ooh. this guy help the team? And I'm just That's like, deep. have I become who I despise? Like, what is wrong with me? That's deep. Um, I will say though, you know, as you're saying that, I, I would be fronting if I, you know, if I said I don't think about the 2006 late, uh, you know, roughing the passer penalty on Sean Crable <laughs> against Troy Smith at Ohio State owhen Michigan went into Big Ten, went into the horseshoe, and you know they were both 11 and 0. It was essentially what we just watched, except the you know the the 2006 version. I was a sophomore in college. Uh, and you know, Michigan basically lost the game on that, on that call. So 
I, you know, that 20, was it what, 2018, 2016, that uh, Michigan lost a really close game against Ohio State. I remember those plays, those sequences, those controversial calls, like the back of my hand. And uh, so I get it from that standpoint. Uh, I, I do not look at pro football focus grades <laughs> when we get recruits in Michigan or I don't know if there's like a high school or college football focus. I I don't do that. Uh, it's a little bit. I've never really gotten into the recruiting stuff. You That's said I'm more sick. You said I'm more sick than you. That's yes, what you're saying. You're, you're, on, you're on sicko mode from that perspective <laughs> where I don't get that deep into it. Partly just because it's like every – the way I see it, more more or less, uh, well, pro football is different. But like for me, at, at the college level, a recruit is going to take you know unless they're that good, they're going to take a, a year or two to really mm-hmm. make the rotation anyway. So it's like I can't really focus on. It's too <laughs> abstract for me. But an offensive lineman that they're pres- presumably going to play, I get it. And the Dolphins <laughs> are relevant enough this year to actually care. So I get it. I totally understand. I appreciate it. I appreciate you making this a safe space for me to be vulnerable. <laughs> for all our listeners out there, listen, if there, if there are basketball losses that stick with you, we'd love to hear them. Maybe we'll do a whole mailbag episode on, on some of your least favorite losses. Daryl will kill us. Yeah, Daryl will kill us. But please, you know, send us your emails, openfloormail at gmail.com. Maybe there's some embarrassing fan things that you guys would also like to get off your chest. Herring, there's a ton of stuff that I want to get to on today's pod. It's... Uh, an exciting time, I'd say, in the NBA season. Things are slightly uh, starting to round into shape here. Some news that I want to get to this week. I want to talk about what you've written in your wonderful newsletter, The Playmaker. Please subscribe if you haven't subscribed to The Playmaker yet. Let's start with Anthony Davis, who has been on an absolute tear over the last three or four weeks now. 99 points in his last two games. The Lakers, I believe, are 8-2 and two in the last 10 games now. They have the same number of losses as the Golden State Warriors, which is kind of interesting. I think they have two less wins, but those teams have the same number of losses, which is pretty shocking when you think about how those teams were being discussed kind of the first week of the season. AD, I think it was you and I who had the conversation before the season. I, I really can't fully remember, but just kind of a conversation about how Will we ever see AD play at that MVP level again? You know, what would we ever? This was a guy who we expected great things from based on his last couple of years in New Orleans. And we were like, is that guy still there? And lo and behold, he's there. I think he's dominating the paint, become much more active as a screener and roller, taking way fewer outside jump shots. And you're seeing it pay dividends. Absolute matchup nightmare. Herring, what have you made of kind of the AD renaissance? Are, are you enjoying it? Um, what, what have you made kind of this whole – it really feels like he's maybe changed the fortunes of this team. Yeah. I mean, it, that's exactly how it's looked. I think really what I've made of mostly is, you know, some of what was obvious, which I think we alluded to it a little bit when we talked about our top 100. He, he still is capable of being a top 10 guy if he's mm-hmm. healthy. It's really that he hasn't been healthy, or even when he has been, it hasn't been at the same time as LeBron. Um, that's been a huge chunk of it. Mm. A huge chunk of it has been our, you know, our constant harping conversations about his inefficiency from three. Which, if you stop taking those at the rate that he was before, it's not dragging down his effective field goal stuff. And and the other thing that we harped on for years, even before he was, uh, you know, a Laker, was just like, man, you got to 
take your ass and go in the post, man. You just have mm-hmm. to be a five. And really, this is the first year we essentially haven't heard him complain about it. It's the first year where he's basically done it all the time. Uh, I want to say basketball reference has him at 100% of his minutes coming from center this year. Uh, and, you know, let's, let's be honest, too. Like, Russ has played better. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes when we see Russ at his best, whether it's the Lakers or the Rockets or whatever other team, you know, any other team he's played with, it's generally when he decides he's going to cut threes out of his diet as well. The, the way this feels is like the Lakers have been dieting and they're <laughs> cutting out the bad foods, which is it's a team that can't shoot. And you've got two guys that, you know, in their minds are great shooters from outside and they're really not with AD and, and Russell Westbrook. They've essentially taken healthier shots. Anthony Davis has been able to do it with a little bit more space because he's not playing alongside another big uh, or at least, a, you know, a big that would allow him to be a four. Um, and it's paid massive, massive dividends. The shots are better. They're more efficient. And he's still a beast because he's healthy. And and that's really been the, the linchpin for him for years is just if he's healthy, you want him out there. He makes you better. He makes you a contender. So, you know, it's it's not overly complicated. I kind of wish it was. But I do <laughs> yeah. think that it's, it speaks volumes about the fact that when he's this healthy and this good that – it does force you to step back a little bit and be like, okay, maybe the Lakers do have something here, which brings us back to the most original point that we've harped on for two years now, which is that it still probably makes sense to try to get rid of Russ, even though he's been a little bit better, mm-hmm. certainly less harmful. He's had good games. He's saved them in times at times. But you still probably want to think about that because it makes you think that the ceiling of this team could be even higher. Yeah, it's really funny. The last time we talked about Anthony Davis at length on this podcast, it was literally Gons and I running through fake Anthony Davis trades because they'd read such a low point. People were wondering, is this kind of their only way to really blow things up? It is funny. We talk about trades they need to make. I'm definitely on board that they need to trade the draft picks. I do think you can start to make the argument that Russ has found the right role on this team. as in, in, He's bought into that bench role. I think he's been a plus for them overall this season. And... You know, could they move a Pat Bev? I mean, the problem is they don't really have a ton of movable contracts to get back kind of the right players and trades. But, you know, can they cobble some guys together to bring in a rotation piece? That makes sense. Somehow package the picks. That that definitely needs to be on the table. I think there's no question about that, that they need to be aggressive to upgrade the roster because of how good AD has been. It's funny because I wrote a piece earlier this year that was kind of outlining kind of all the bad moves the front office has made over the last few years that led to this position, which – and the gist of that story was if you have LeBron and AD, it has to be like – you have to be doing a historically bad job to not have a title contender because of how good those guys are. And that's what the Lakers are doing. And now what we're seeing is I think kind of what people expected when they first acquired Russ, which is – LeBron and AD are so good that they'll find a way to make it work. And I think AD especially has been so good that it's impossible for it to not be reaping some success. At the same time, I will say the win over Milwaukee was really nice. Other than that, they beat the Spurs three times. They beat the Pistons. They beat the Blazers without Dame. You know, they have the, uh, I believe they're playing the Cavs on TNT uh, tonight. We're recording this on Tuesday. So, that's going to be a great test. You know, LeBron always, I think, plays well going back to Cleveland. That'll be an interesting game. But, yeah, I am curious. Is that – do you think it's still – I know I'm putting you on the spot a little bit and 
Sorry. And everyone's had this thought, but, you know, what are some of the moves? What's something you'd like to see them do to this roster? I mean, I, I think it, it comes back to, again, and it's it's funny. I made that vow um, in my newsletter in like week two of the season. I was like, I will not write about the Lakers again in any facet or form until they do something that is worthy of it or like make a move, essentially, mm-hmm. because we know what the story of this team is. They've played a lot better. Davis has been MVP level. And so, you know, I think they're back in that phase now where like I can write about them again and not go back on my word. They still need more shooting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you get occasional nights from someone where, where they're they're better. But, I mean, it's still a team that – let's look at the number for the year. 33% from three. And, you know, yeah. that means that they've probably been shooting 40% since the first two weeks of the season, <laughs> you know, to get to 33. Um, but they're essentially still, you know, right there around worst team in the league in, in, in that regard. Uh, luckily, defensively, they've they've guarded the three point line well enough to where it hasn't killed them. They're not getting outscored by thirty every night from the three point line, but they still could use more shooting. Um, and you know those those sorts of guys can be had, um, particularly if they're one way players like a Buddy Hield or something like that. We've obviously heard a lot about him. I thought it was really funny that when uh, I think it was the Pistons played against the Lakers that Dwayne Casey was like. Yeah, we got a uh, Boyan, and and you can't have him. <laughs> yep, yep. And it was, you know, it was kind of funny just because it's like, you know, these guys do go quickly. But I also think, again, they can be had. You can find guys that are, um, you know, on on teams that necessarily aren't contenders, or even teams that are contenders that just want better two way play out of guys. And so, um, you know, I look at a guy like a Doug McDermott. Mm. Um, you know, guys like that. Like, I, I, I want to say the last podcast we had, we were talking about um, Jakob Pertl yeah. as a guy that could be traded. Like, I just think there are going to be certain teams that, like, they're, these guys aren't fundamentally parts of their core going forward. Pertl, maybe you could argue, will be for a team like San Antonio. I don't think McDermott really has to be. Uh, you know, he's not the youngest. I like guy you throwing anymore. out his name, though. I like it's. We have, not, have we ever talked about Doug McDermott on this podcast? I mean, it's just the sort of guy that, like, I don't think any team is going to be so wedded to the guy that you can't get him. You know, right? Um, and and maybe, it, you know, maybe it doesn't even cost you a first to get him because no team is so wedded mm-hmm. to him. Uh, so you know, that that's where I kind of look and and kind of make a face at the Lakers, just because like you could have gotten some of these guys without having to fundamentally you know shake up your core right even if you want to keep russ uh you know for the sake of not having to get off of a a, a pick to to do that so anyway i you know i just i think those are there are enough guys mm. in the league where you can go find somebody hell what was the guy's name andre what was his name the old dude that had the really gray hair andre hit- ingram that guy was sick man hey man go get him like <laughs> so, get somebody that can shoot like somebody that like they are professional Marksman, just go get them. So, uh, you know, in all seriousness, no, they have played well. I, you know, I did say I was not going to discuss them until they played better. Uh, Lonnie Walker has been great for them and, and one of the few guys that has shot a good percentage mm-hmm. from three. Uh, you know, so they've been entertaining to watch lately. Anthony Davis has been MVP level. Like you said, he and LeBron are playing the way they can play and they're healthy. There's no excuse to not be at least a playoff team, a contender. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've looked more like one, but you want to start seeing them do it more consistently against good teams as well. Yeah. So Cleveland will be a good test, although Cleveland you know, has been up and down too, but it'll be a good test for them. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. 
Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Good sleep should come naturally. And with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values. Premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams, the Natural Hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary. Indulge your senses and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the natural hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. God, this season's just so weird, man. Like, Monday night, we had the Grizzlies without Ja, Bane, and JJJ beating the Heat. We had the Pacers beating the Warriors in Golden State. <laughs> we had the Sixers with Harden and Embiid back losing to the Rockets. And we have the next two teams I want to talk about. The Atlanta Hawks losing to the Oklahoma City Thunder. Let's start with the Atlanta Hawks, who... Oh, boy. So, (laughs) there's Trey Young's just kind of absent from a Hawks win Friday night over the Denver Nuggets, another team that we talked about on the pod since then. Another weird win. Two bad losses. They lose to Atlanta without Trey. Like, Jokic, I think, is a plus seven in a 16 or 15-point loss to the Pelicans because the bench is an absolute disaster after I write about the Nuggets and all the things they've done <laughs> to make Jokic's life easier. They lose their next two games. But let's talk about the Hawks. Trey Young just misses the game against Denver. We find out, reporting from The Athletic, Shams and Sam Amick, that Trey Young gets into an argument with Nate McMillan and decides as a result of that argument to skip the game against Denver. He ends up playing Monday night in the loss to Oklahoma City. Um, I wrote about the Hawks earlier this year, and, you know, when Kevin Herter was coming back into town, how, you know, it's a team that lacks shooting. I didn't like that move for a number of reasons. It was a luxury tax dump. You know, we've seen it with Cleveland, for example. They go out and get Donovan Mitchell, and the team is really good this year. But, you know, the Hawks go out and get DeJounte Murray, and I don't I don't really know what to make of them, to be honest. Like they have not inspired a ton of confidence in me. But let's start with this young situation 
I'm just what was your reaction to that report? I dropped it in our group chat and nobody responded to me, which is fine. I'm not upset, but I'm just curious <laughs> what your what your reaction to that report was because I I found it to be pretty shocking. Man who swears he's not mad continues to say <laughs> yeah, he's not exactly. mad. Yeah, um, exactly. I I don't even remember seeing that text, but as you know, I have our group text muted because yeah. y'all be going ham hey, in there sometimes. Um, <laughs> so I I mean I saw it. I I made it's funny like. There's so much stuff happening in the league at, at any given time that, you know, if you ever look at my Twitter feed, it's like I'm pretty sure last night I tweeted a picture of a, a black father holding his baby and asking the baby to say, dad, dad. And he says, dad, dad. And then, the, you know, the dad shakes the baby with glee and the baby is squealing like a, a pig. He's so happy. Just a, a beautiful father son moment. You can look at my timeline and see that. I thought you were you can, talking about a meme, bro. I was like, what? was not a meme, but it <laughs> probably could be, should be. But my point is that like, at any given moment, you can find that. At any given mm -hmm. moment, you can see me retweeting something about politics, um, about, you know, the state of the world, what's happening in Jackson, Mississippi, you know, Deion Sanders stuff, whatever, you know, also Jackson, Mississippi, I guess. Uh, but also stuff around the league, because obviously we cover the NBA and, uh, you know, I retweet. I made a point of retweeting that exchange with Trey Young and a local reporter in Atlanta because it was just kind of odd to see and also interesting from the standpoint of you have a reporter pretty much asking Trey Young, "You're the leader of this team." There's now been something reported saying that, like, you know, you were asked to either come off the bench or not play, and you chose not to play. That's one thing, but you're the leader of the team. How is it that you're not even showing up to the game? Mm -hmm. And Trey Young, you know, kind of looks embarrassed at the beginning of the question. Of like, yeah, man, you know, it was kind of awkward that it got out there. It was a private matter. I'd like for it to stay private. And the reporter keeps pushing him. And feel however you want to feel. If you look at the comments from that tweet, a lot of people are kind of taking aim at the reporter for continuing to push Trey. I, I did think it was – I will say – I understand that press and some people are like, you always got to be combative. And I just think that there are moments where if you want to get a thoughtful answer from someone, it can sometimes help to be a little bit more thoughtful with the question. Um, I, maybe that reporter could have taken a better tack, but we I all wanted so the, we all wanted the answers to what he was asking. I, exactly. And it's, it's also a good question. And I, I think the most middle of the road tweets that you saw after that was like, he pushed a little hard particularly after Trey said, I want a private matter to stay private, or it's disappointing that a private matter mm -hmm. couldn't stay fully private. After he said that three times, like, okay, you move on, you find a different way to ask it with a different tone, what have you. But it was interesting that, like, for how much credit Trey Young has gotten and all mm -hmm. the ice tray moments and everything else, uh, you know, all the attention he's gotten – the fact that I've written stories about this, that the team has branded themselves around this man, that Trey Young's persona and the way he fits in in Atlanta, the city of Atlanta, one of the blackest cities in America, was low-key part of the reason that the Hawks drafted him and wanted him over somebody like Luka Doncic, mm -hmm. his charisma. It doesn't look particularly good when you essentially have an option or given a choice, whatever, whether you want to play or not is fine. To be there, you are looked at as the leader of the team. You are the 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 neon light name mm -hmm. on, on the board there in Atlanta. You are the first star superstar. Let me say that. 
borderline superstar the team has had since Dominique Wilkins. They have gone longer, like 10 years longer than any other franchise in the NBA without having a guy finish in the top 10 of an MVP race. They have not had anyone since Dominique Wilkins. Uh, the next closest team, I think, is the Nets. And they probably would, would have gotten somebody like Durant. You know, uh, I don't know. But either way, that's an aside. Uh, it, it, it matters, like, why you, you can't be there. And, and you know, I understand why Trey was upset. But it, it is kind of an interesting moment where this honeymoon has been over for a minute now mm-hmm. with the Hawks. And quite frankly, when you talk about why it's over, Trey Young is shooting 41%, less than 30% from three. He's never been a defender. Every now and then he'll make an effort. But it's not what he's known for. That's probably part of the reason they made this trade to get DeJounte Murray, whether he fits or not, is you need somebody to be able to defend in your backcourt because you can't ask uh, you can't ask DeAndre Hunter to guard everybody every game. Mm-hmm. So they I mean, they have leveraged everything for this guy already, and now I've leveraged a little bit more to go get DeJounte Murray. Good move or bad move, whatever you think. Uh, so his leadership matters here. The fact that they're going to continue to tweak this roster around him, maybe by the trade deadline, mm-hmm. he, he he matters here. Uh, it's not good enough to not show leadership in a moment like that. So it's a weird situation. It was a weird situation a year or two ago, right before they made the trip to the conference finals with all the guys that they were going to need to pay. It was a weird situation when you had to sell off Kevin Herter uh, for really not much. So it'll be fascinating to see what happens. It'll be fascinating to see what happens, quite frankly, with Nate McMillan as well, uh, who obviously kind of gave Trey that decision to make in the first place. Uh, and quite frankly, someone that you know I think kind of wears thin on fan bases after a couple of years. He had yeah. a really splashy first half of a season where he came as an interim guy, mm-hmm. got him in the conference finals unexpectedly. It's going to be fascinating to see what happens with this team. And I, I thought for a while that the Hawks were kind of in one of the most – fascinating positions because they really don't style themselves as a big market team Mm -hmm. despite the fact that they have kind of a big market reputation because Atlanta's flashy everything about the arena and when you go to the games there is flashy but you know it's a team that is still new to kind of being in the spotlight and maybe Trey is too he's used to the spotlight but are you used to everything that comes with that when you guys start to lose a little bit uh, does stuff start to crack around you a little bit? And it'll be fascinating to see what happens now. Yeah, it really is. You know, it's one thing. I don't, it's not a big deal that he gets into an argument with the coach. That happens, right? I mean, we've literally seen Jimmy Butler and Eric Spolstra get into a almost a physical altercation, seemingly, on the, the sideline during a game. To straight up skip a game, when was the last time you heard of a team's leader straight up skipping a game? That, to me, that's pretty unacceptable, and I don't want to be like sports writer guy who's like, oh, come on, man. That's But like... It's a team sport, man. And you're right. Like, there's something to be said about leadership. And not to be a heat culture guy, but, you know, when I did that Bam out of bio story <laughs> and I asked Bam, you know, what was it like having UD in your ear before game three of the conference finals last year when Bam played what was probably the best game of his career? And he was like, UD has picked me up so many times. It's incredible the impact he can have on winning without stepping on the court. And... These things are impossible to quantify. Maybe sometimes we make too big a deal out of them, but they mean something. Like, leadership means something. Uh, I think something that kind of just goes underrated when we talk about team sports, when in an era where we can seemingly quantify everything, is how do you get people motivated every single day? How do you get people to buy in? You look at a team like the Suns. 
the summer they had coming off the game six loss, seven loss. Like if you're Monty Williams, how do you motivate a team like that? That's just had two devastating playoff losses in a row. All these things are so much easier said than done. And when you have your star player just skipping a game like that, I don't think it's a thing that's going to derail a season, but it's a bad look. It's like, why would DeAndre Hunter, and I'm just using him as an example. I, I not, you know, it's just a metaphor here, but like, why would he take Nate McMillan seriously if Trey Young isn't? You know, like, it's just little things that can kind of fester, that can kind of um, create awkwardness within a team. And you just need better than that from your star player. And you mentioned it. He's not playing well this year either. Like, it's the worst season he's had. He's inefficient. Um, teams are doing a really good job of kind of forcing him into taking non-rim twos. And that That's not good. And he hasn't been good on those shots. Um, you mentioned this. I kind of put the Hawks and the Mavs in the similar boat in that. I think both of their runs to the conference finals were fool's gold. And that's not to take away from huh. what those players did on the court. But the Hawks especially, it's like, I'm sorry, but they beat a Knicks team that, you know, Julius Randle had nine months off before the season. Other players had 70 days. Like, I, I find the 2021 season to be, frankly, more like um, extreme results than the bubble. Um they play a Philly they play a Philly team that people talk about what a meltdown by Philly. It went seven games and it was close um in game seven and it took like a, a generational meltdown from a star player for Atlanta to advance in that series. Um obviously Young gets hurt, but Giannis is also hurt in kind of the conference finals they lose anyway. But I just thought that if you really break that down, I that didn't really inspire confidence in me in their long-term prospects. They run it back last year. They get kind of embarrassed in the first round. My incredibly nuclear take, you're not ready for this. Are you ready for this? I can't wait to hear this. Please. Is there an argument that they should build around DeJounte and trade Trey Young? I said it was going to be hot, baby. I said it was going to be hot. We were talking about memes about 10, 12 minutes ago. I just saw that Elmo meme where he just goes, yep, ah, that's me. with the fire, the inferno burning, burning warm, behind It's it. getting cold around the country. Let me warm it up a little Ooh. bit with my take. Look, let me say this. I, I, I'm i going to go back to what I said a minute ago just from the standpoint of it. even if that made basketball sense, which – it's it's an interesting take, and I don't you know I see where you're coming from. Dejounte is more well rounded, but again they they they've built this whole mm-hmm. thing around Trey. You you don't even bother with Capella, who is a good player. It's not saying mm-hmm. that you wouldn't have him on your team, but like when they they mortgaged a lot to get Capella, quite frankly, mm-hmm. and the reason you did that was because. Capella had thrived with somebody like Harden and Trey Mm -hmm. was someone that, you know, is going to launch 35 footers, but also is going to take floaters and like Harden, his floaters look like lobs. And so because they're, it's like the pitcher that you're trying to hit off of where his curveball and his fastball kind of look the same angular Mm. wise, you know, like, so they, they built a lot of stuff around Trey, not just from a basketball standpoint, but from a city standpoint. And branding DeJounte Murray, you know, who, you know, you've had players like him before in the NBA. Trey has a chance to be singular. I I spent so much time talking to, uh, you know, the Hawks CEO about 
this idea of, uh, you know, how before they got Trey, the idea of Steph and how he goes into the arenas hours before games to shoot and teams could damn near have, you know, three, 4,000 people just watching that before a game starts his warmups and that Trey was really the first guy after Steph, you know, came along from the college ranks to really kind of inspire that same sort of awe and wonderment, uh, particularly for the home crowd in Atlanta. And so they knew all that, you know, they, they, they saw 1200% uh, increases in Jersey sales after getting him. Like, I think that matters to them still. I think that they want to be not just a team that can win, but a team that has a marketability to it. Cause they, they also were the team that had like the longest running playoff streak mm-hmm. before they started rebuilding to get somebody like Trey. So I, I don't, you know, a lot of times we're focused solely on the basketball and nothing else. I don't think that they would do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Trey would have to be like this bad for probably at least another year or two mm-hmm. before they would really have that conversation. But, uh, you know, DeJounte's really talented and like it's probably a little bit easier to build a team around him than it is to build around uh than it is to build around uh, Trey. So yeah. we'll we'll see. But they've already done so much to try to take the difficult task of building it around Trey. So yeah. it would be a tear down in a way that at that point you should have just held on to Herder and other guys yeah. if you're going to start undoing it around him specifically. So I think that they're more likely to keep it. That is a nuclear take though. And I respect yeah. it. I, I Thank respect you. where it comes from. Yeah. Thank you. I can dial up some heat every now and then, you know, <laughs> um, Spo used to have a quote during Dwayne Wade's last year um, that I think he took from a country song. That's like, I'm not as good as I once was, but I'm good once as I ever was. That was me with that take. Every now and oh, then I Lord. got every, yeah, sorry. What? It's a little bit of a, I'll write it down for you. I'll type it out. <laughs> it makes more sense. Oh. But uh, every now and then I'm, you know, I can still dial up the heat like a late career Randy Johnson. Um, right, Nolan Ryan. <laughs> that I will say though, like I am, they defend really well when Capella's on the floor. I do wonder Trey long-term. Like the Bucks famously like don't hunt mismatches. The Knicks were a bad offensive team. The Sixers are not going to like not post Embiid, but like the vast majority of teams, I'm curious to see how Trey over the course of his career holds up defensively in the playoffs um, and what he kind of does to mitigate some of the concerns on that end of the floor. If we're talking basketball, because yeah, I just, they should be better than, than what they are considering they went out and got Murray and, you know, let's talk about the team that beat the Hawks on Monday night because you wrote about them in the Playmaker this week. That would be the Oklahoma City Thunder, who are not great, but this is another one of those teams that when you watch them on League Pass, for the most part, they're so competitive that I think you kind of assume that they have more wins than they actually have. Um, The Thunder are... 11 and 13, which is not bad. I mean, they're ahead of the Lakers in the standings right now. Um, half game behind the Wolves. They're one and a half games out of the last playing spot behind Golden State. Um, only one game behind Golden State in the loss column. But just when you think about how good Shea has been, like they're, they're having a decent season. I mean, in many ways, they're kind of every bit as surprising as the Jazz. Those two teams have gotten a lot closer in the standings lately. Um, tell me what inspired you to write about the Thunder and the Playmaker this week. Um, you know, what have you seen from them that you liked? Uh, what caught your eye about OKC? I think on the most basic level, um, I'm very pro 
every year, if you go back and look at like my early season archives from here when I was at the Wall Street Journal, um, ESPN and 538, I'm always very pro. Let me write about this team now early in the season when they're interesting mm. before they fade because mm. you, you always get some early season weirdness. Um, and so it's particularly smaller markets, particularly teams that kind of come out of nowhere. But uh, if you go back, you'd have to go back a while, but uh, Michael and I – did a podcast, I think, during the off season, in Who? which I said, <laughs> "Michael, <laughs> Michael Pina, Michael the Pod Pina, former friend of the podcast. We ain't friends around here no more." <laughs> um, but I remember saying, and I remember he had a reaction where he legitimately said, "Who?" Almost exactly the same way you did, where I was like, "You know, Oklahoma City, if they mess around a little bit." and they decide they want to accelerate this even a little bit, they could probably be a playoff team next year. And Michael was like, what? And I was like, yeah. I Like, you know, maybe it's a little bit ambitious. Maybe that's like my Trey Young, DeJounte Murray take that you just had. <laughs> or maybe it was. But, you know, the thing is they're pretty, so, they're pretty much so intentional about not going for it right now yeah. with how young they are, all the first-round picks they have, all the things that can convey if they just keep losing for a little bit. Uh that we kind of forget that if they decided they really wanted to go for it, that they have more assets than anybody else in the history of basketball, pretty much to go get it. Uh, they have now a guy that is playing like MVP level basketball mm -hmm. in Shea, and they have a bunch of other guys that are good contributors. Now, you know, would they struggle if they were in a play in, if they did make the playoffs? Yeah, they'd get swept probably because they're really, really young. Like they, they don't have that sort of experience, but they have great athleticism. They drive to the basket like 10 or 12 times more mm -hmm. per game than any other team. Uh, they defensive rebound like crap. I mean, they're bad at that. But they do a lot of other little stuff. They basically force more turnovers than anybody else. Uh, and, you know, despite the fact that they give up a lot of rim points or points in the paint, they are actually holding teams under their averages when, you know, when they're defending in close range despite the fact that they really don't have like a traditional big man. Uh, you know, they've got guys that are like six, nine playing center. They've got Poku who's seven foot, but he's like 200 pounds. Uh, so they're also playing without the guy that they've drafted at the top of the draft who would help with some of that. So dude, could you like, imagine if they had Chet? <laughs> well, when I said that, I thought that they could potentially be a playoff team. I thought that he'd be there. You know, mm -hmm. it was before the, the pickup game that he got hurt in. So, you know, it, it, it's a little crazy, but that was what prompted me to want to write about it. It's like, if, if they decided they actually want, like, it would be like if somebody was really frugal and then they decided to, like, that they're going to cash in on all the savings that they were putting aside. Like, that's kind of what this is. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, so it's, it's surprising, uh, but they have a very clear style of play. Jalen Williams, by the way, their, their rookie guard is so much fun and so good. Uh, you factor in that they have him, who he had like 27 and whatever he had the other night against the Spurs, in a game where Shea didn't even play, and they came back from 20 down to win. Um, they've had seven comeback wins of 10 points or more, uh, where they came back from seven, 10 points down to win already of the 11 that they have. Uh, and, you know, Poku is actually showing some NBA not MVP skill, NBA skill. Like he actually looks like he might belong as opposed to just being like an NBA Twitter guy. Uh, so I, I'm really intrigued by them. Again, it won't be this year for them. They, they've got the sixth toughest schedule left in the league and the, the five teams ahead of them are all teams that 
are going to go for it a lot more aggressively than they are. So it won't be this year. Like I think you can probably pencil in Shea to miss more games. Mm-hmm. He's played in all but two in the last couple of years. He's missed like 63 combined. Uh, so he's going to miss time. Just if I had to yeah. guess, it would be like, Although it would be couple, like saying Embiid will probably miss time or something. I mean, you know? a couple of those Shea, I do think there's a little bit of a tank job with the way they held him out. Of course, yeah, but like yeah. I don't doubt that they'll they might yeah. do that here too, yeah. just because you know that's the conversation that gets to be a little bit uncomfortable when you talk about the Utahs and the San Antonios and the and the Pacers. Quite frankly, you mentioned earlier uh, that these teams are you know they're better than we were expecting them to be. They've already gotten more than halfway to their you know projected win totals a quarter of the way through the year. So they're either going to keep winning at that rate and miss the playoffs, likely. Or they're going to realize and say, like, well, we're going to miss the playoffs, so it doesn't make sense to miss the playoffs and be mm-hmm. one of the best teams to miss the playoffs. We might as well just slow it down. So I wouldn't be shocked if they do that with Shea. Although, again, he's having, like, an MVP-level campaign. He leads the league in clutch points. He leads the league in free throws made. Mm-hmm. It would be a little awkward to just sit him out at this point, but they've got a lot of young talent, a lot of playmakers. They've got – uh a lot of guys that can run the floor. They've got guys that can space the floor as bigs, and that's without Chet Holmgren. That's without whoever they're going to get at the top of this next draft. It, it's going to be an interesting team, and, and frankly, for all the teardown that they did, uh, it looks promising so far. You, you know, I don't like giving Sam Presti credit just for finding one guy, but it seems like they've got several that yeah. could be part of the next iteration of whatever they're doing. Yeah, I mean, it is funny because it's like, what are they going to do with all these picks? You know, who can they draft? It's the guy they got in the Paul George trade in Shea Gilgis Alexander, who's been the cornerstone of all this. He had 35 last night, didn't hit a single three. Shea doing this with the spacers, quote unquote spacers he has, like you mentioned Jalen Williams, Lou Dort, Josh Giddy. I mean, Giddy hit a couple big threes in that Hawks game, but these guys can't shoot. Jeremiah Robinson Earl who started for them against the Hawks is like the best shooter they have right now, maybe. Um, And shout out to Robinson Earl. That's no shade. Like, bro, I was watching the game last night. I was like, he's giving the Hawks the business, man. Um, He's a good player. Yeah. He's legitimately a good player. And he was good last year too, but you know, he's getting more of a chance this year. Um, There, I really do hope that they make a little bit of a push because we already know they can't roster all these first round picks. Eventually, they're going to have to be moved for someone or something. I don't know if they think it's going to somehow get them to be able to jump up in a draft. I just don't think that that really happens in the NBA like it happens in the NFL, for example. Um, Like the difference between pick one and even pick three, frankly, is so huge um, that I don't think they can afford to shit shit. (laughs) I don't think they can afford to sit Shea this year. uh, I don't think that they can pull that off. Like he's playing too well. You can't stunt his development. This is this is the kind of guy you hope to draft in the lottery. Like this is the kind of like. But right. we already saw him like play with Chris Paul. He was really good. Um, I'm intrigued by Giddy. I wonder if Giddy can ever become even league average from three. Can he get up to 33, 34 percent? That would go such a long way. I mean, he's a fun player to watch. I love his passing and. You know, he can do interesting things, but I, I do wonder if it, it's a little hard, I think, to have someone at that position um, be that poor of a shooter. He also leads them in rebounding at like six, yeah. seven. You know, it's it's like it's it's a very weird team. Again, it's very easy to see how they don't rebound well. 
Um, I'll, I'll put it this way. Because the truth is, none of their guards are great shooters. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least not yet, between uh, what Williams has shown so far. Giddy, and then even Shea from three. Shea, you know, I was trying to figure out how close he was to 50, 40, 90, and it's like, maybe we can get him to like 50, 35, mm. 90. You know, he's good at everything, but, you know, isn't great from there. Uh, so that might be a next step for them, too, is like if they can develop that. Because really, when you look at all the drives they make, they, they rely on their spacing to kind of come from their big guys, mm-hmm. which is a, like their their team is kind of inverted from that standpoint. So, uh We'll see. But, I mean, you would prefer to have a lot of really good high-level ball handling and hope that those guys can develop, you know, long-range jump shots. By the way, Giddy hit a couple threes last night, including one from the logo. You know, like, he, he's got the makings of something there. Right. It, it's so early for him and for everybody else. Shea's 24 and is one of the older guys on this team. I mean, the, the league average for this team or the, the, the average for this team is 23 years old and they're the youngest team in the league. So there's so much room to grow, um, you know, and they've even got room to kind of, you know, margin around the edges to kind of make a mistake or two as far as guys that just don't pan out. Um, but if they hit on one more guy, two more guys mm-hmm. in the next year or two uh, who really hit and really seem to be a fit like the way these first few have, uh, it won't take much longer. And I, I, I kind of feel like the rebuild will be complete from that standpoint. And really, I think if, if they're doing it right within the next year, they are just pushing for a playoff spot instead of yeah. continuing to try to, you know, to just find themselves high in the lottery. I kind of hope that maybe we get like a surprise week of games from Chad Holmgren at the end of the season. I know it's not going to happen. They're going to be that would incredibly be so cautious. Fun. But That'd be so fun. Though. They were just yeah. so quick to rule them out for the season. And I remember talking to Rob Mahoney about it. And he brought up a good point. It's like it doesn't create any pressure for people to keep asking when's he coming back. But if they right. could just do a surprise Chet Holmgren drop, that would be a lot of fun. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it and travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel, it's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Good sleep should come naturally. And with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values. Premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams, the Natural Hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary. Indulge your senses and supports a greener tomorrow. 
Plus, when you purchase the natural hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. I want to talk about one last team who also won Monday night. I mentioned them earlier, the Indiana Pacers. Go on the road and smack up the Golden State Warriors. Now, Smack up. Yeah. I don't want to – I don't like to read too much. Like the regular season's meant to be a slog. Teams are going to lose games they shouldn't lose. It's not a game played on paper. It happens every year. But first and foremost, I got rightfully called out. Gons and I gave up quarter season awards a week ago. Someone's like, how did you not even mention Ben Matherin for Rookie of the Year? And I'm like, that was a massive oversight. He's been sick. Oh, no. But it's maybe not even the most exciting rookie on the team. Like, now we got the Andrew Nemhard train just yep. coming, pulling into the station. Um, I, They've been good, man. They're, like, firmly in the top six of the East. Another team that I think people were expecting. I'm going to turn into a tank squad. Obviously, we know so much about Halliburton. But I think Miles Turner's having a pretty good season. Um, they got these intriguing rookies. I am curious uh, that they're not really like they don't really play Nemhard, Matherin, and Halliburton together. I wonder if we'll maybe start to see a little bit more of that, just to see what hey, what do we what can we get out of this three guard look? Um, yeah, man, what have you made of the Pacers so far? It's a team that we over the last couple years even haven't talked too much about on this podcast, but. They've been right up there again, one of those surprising teams to start this NBA season. Incredibly, incredibly fun. Um, You know, I find myself just watching a lot of their games because, you know, again, I feel like I kind of lean heavily on the teams. You're going to almost be paying more attention toward the end of the season to the teams that Mm -hmm. are good just because, like, okay, you're looking at stuff for playoff matchups and, you know, um, different things like that. You're trying to analyze those things. and also, not to mention that because guys or teams are sitting so many guys out toward the end of the season to rest them for the playoffs to just kind of load manage, uh, the first half of the season always kind of feels more important to me uh, than the second half. You you end up seeing everybody make a statistical jump toward the end of the season when guys kind of take their foot off the pedal because they don't mm-hmm. want to get hurt. Uh, so I paid a lot of attention to these young teams because of that early on. And the Pacers have been maybe the most fun to watch. Uh, I put them right up there with the Kings. Uh, unexpected wins. Uh, you've got you know three and four game streaks with, uh, with Halliburton where he doesn't turn the ball over and goes for 30 or 40 assists. Uh, and you know, it's just a, a dynamite shooter on top of it is, you know, making a more of a concerted effort to score and look for his own shot. Uh, Matherin was a guy that I, he was my rookie of the year, uh, before the season, just because he was averaging 20 a game in preseason. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't make a point to watch much in college basketball, but you know, watched a game or two of Arizona's in the tournament. And I remember there was one where Arizona just looked dead in the water and he just shot them back into it and took the game to overtime just because he kept making shots. And I was like, this guy does not look scared. And he has a few moments every now and then where he looks a little bit gun shy now with the Pacers uh, where he maybe passes up a shot. But just, you know, there's no other way to put it. Like, he just kind of looks like a man out there. Mm -hmm. Like, he looks like someone that's been playing for five years, uh, going at guys, uh, 
you know, just like the confidence with which he generally plays. And I think that kind of combined with the fact that he's playing with somebody like Halliburton that will get him the ball, even though Matherin comes off the bench. Uh, it's just an interesting group. That that speaks to why he and Nemhard and, and uh, Halliburton don't play together all that much. But it is something that's worth exploring for them. You know, like we were saying about uh, a minute ago with uh, kind of the inverted lineups that Oklahoma City has, mm-hmm. you're able to use some of that with Miles Turner, who's been shooting the ball really mm-hmm. well, so it opens up more for the guards. Uh, it's just a really, really fun yeah. team. And you're not used to Indiana having that. What I would say about them is that what I thought about a day or two ago is like, this is kind of the team. Remember when uh, Larry Bird made that really like jarring comment about Roy Hibbert? And he was like, well... You know, we could bring him back or we couldn't, but like one way or the other, we're going to play faster. And I'm not really sure that fits him. And it was just kind of jarring to hear it because like we knew that Roy Hibbert was kind of, you know, his production was slowing down. His defense wasn't really as effective anymore because the three point shot was forcing bigs to come out of the paint and kind of defend. But it was like still like Roy Hibbert kind of was what he did kind of exemplified what the Pacers were as far as just like this big kind of plotting, like not that much offense, but they're going to defend the hell out of you sort of team. And Larry Bird is saying to like anyone who will listen, he really doesn't fit what I want this team to be. This I kind of feel like was actually what Larry Bird was talking about. It was like a mm-hmm. fast, like scoring heavy team that plays with a lot of tempo, that has a lot of shooting. That's actually what he was talking about. Now, granted, it's coming around like six years later or whatever, but – it's just a fun team that, again, I don't know how much they'll win at the end of the season, by the end of the season, but count me in for watching them whenever they're on. You know, the the Lakers win was fantastic. Uh, they've had, you know, it was funny when I was looking to see which teams had more come from behind uh, victories, you know, where they were down by 10 or more. Uh, I think there were only two that had more than Oklahoma City, and I think the Pacers were the other, uh, were one of the others. And it was just, you know, they're they're down most of the time, but they don't stop playing. They play really, really hard, and uh, it's been fun to watch them be good this season. Here's a list of teams Indiana is ahead of in the Eastern Conference standings. The Brooklyn Nets, the Philadelphia 76ers, the Toronto Raptors, the Miami Heat, the Chicago Bulls, and the New York Knicks will throw in for good measure. They have the same record as the Hawks. It's really remarkable. Yeah, I think in terms of those three-guard lineups, I always just want to see what happens when a team plays their best players together. In this case, I think their three guards are kind of their most interesting players, at least. I don't know long-term that it's a solution or anything like that. But, I, you know, the Monique gif, I would like to see it. Um, <laughs> I didn't yeah. know where you are going with that. I'm really yeah. sorry. Yeah, it's all right. <laughs> wow. Um, that is a, such a great reference, though. Now Hilarious. you know how I felt when you were talking about, like, a dad holding his baby. and. Um, hey, man. Check hey, the timeline, G. Bro, you brought up Roy Hibbert real quick. Can we talk about, <laughs> remember when Pero Antic, you could see him shooting Roy Hibbert out of the league in real time? Like, Roy Hibbert Ooh. went from the LeBron stopper to, like, wait, Pero Antic might just, like, end this guy's career? Yeah. I talked to Frank Vogel. Uh, like, so I did a big story on Roy Hibbert, like, because to me, he's one of, like, you, you could actually tell a brief history of the NBA like for a period of time in the NBA through Roy Hibbert's eyes and how quickly the league changed where all of a sudden you started seeing Brooke Lopez be like a guy that wouldn't, you know, that, you know, like one of those dogs that had an electric fence, like he wouldn't step foot outside of the three point line. And all of a sudden it's like, he's bombing threes. Like he's Steph. And that all happened within like 
what should have been Roy Hibbert's prime, but he was out of the league basically by like 29 or 30. Uh, he, he went from being a defensive player of the year candidate and a max player. He was a max player at one point. I remember Portland making the max offer sheet for him and the Pacers, you know, shutting it down and, and bringing him back. He went, I mean, we've had a couple guys like that, like Josh Smith, Greg Monroe, I think was another, uh, but Hibbert had like a skill that you would have figured will always matter in the NBA, but he also had deficiencies. And I talked to Frank Vogel about that. I talked to Paul George about that too. Uh, for the story, Roy didn't talk to me, but I was kind of amazed at how open Frank was in talking about it. By that point, I think he was the coach of the magic at the time, but he was like, yeah, like, you know, I don't think it was anything Roy did wrong necessarily, but there were I mean, certain things he just really couldn't do and the league shifted and he couldn't adjust to it. And he's like, I still think he's deserving of a job in the league, but his role can't be the same anymore. And that he pointed specifically to that series against the Hawks where, you know, the Pacers were the Pacers, the one seed that year and the, the Hawks almost knocked him out. I believe of so. Yeah. So, you know, it was, it was a crazy, crazy, crazy time. And, you know, it, it foreshadowed what was to come for sure. Dude, he was the LeBron stopper. I mean, LeBron's practicing floaters. The Heat Verticality. can't figure him out. Yeah, it was uh, – you mentioned Frank Vogel. I interviewed him for a couple times for a couple different Lakers stories I wrote. And I think it was after the Anthony Davis one. I was like, do you mind if I just ask you some questions about the Pacers Heat series? I'd love to talk about it. I was such a big Heat fan. And he was so cool. We were talking about those series. and He's he's very cool to talk yeah, to. Yeah, he's great, man. And – um he said some. He, he said something funny. So you remember, LeBron leaves for Cleveland in 2014. The Pacers were still really good. Through, I believe that was the Pero Antich year. I believe, and I'm talking to Frank Vogel about it. That summer, Paul George breaks his leg, Ugh. and Ugh. Um, yeah, and I was talking to Frank Vogel about it. And he's like, he's like, I really think we would have won the finals next year if we bring back bring back Lance Stevenson, and Paul George doesn't break his leg because, like, LeBron goes to the Cavs. That Cavs team wasn't quite as good as those Heat teams. Right. And, you know, Lance, you know, was coming off, I think, that year in Charlotte. He, like, led the league in triple doubles. Um, that was such a strange year. Yes. And then, like, wasn't he, like, almost out of the league yeah. the next year? It was really weird. Evan yeah. Turner was getting a bunch of triple doubles really briefly, too, with, yeah. uh, with Boston at one yeah. point. Like, it was a weird... Those and and it was also not to mention like when the the cap spiked too yeah and so you had like really bad contracts on a lot of teams' yep. books the league didn't know what it was doing for like two years yeah. and and let's be honest too the Pacers you know I agree with Frank that like they had a really good chance but everybody will tell you and I think my favorite player to talk to from those Pacers teams was always David West because he was just going to give you like the most honest perspective he had. He was a leader in that locker room and he was like, no, we, we, we messed up that locker room, man. Like we had a team that could have gone toe to toe with the heat that did go toe to toe with the heat. And we wanted to like load up. And so we went out and we got Evan Turner and we went out and got uh, Andrew Bynum. And I remember still to this day, like I'm pretty sure Barkley said, Oh, yeah, they got Evan Turner. Turner. It's over. Yeah. Evan Turner, he like put him over the top. Very well. Yep. I was just kind of like, what? You know, like none of us thought that. But, but you know, to David West's credit, he was like, you can't do that. Like, Roy was a pretty fragile dude. Uh, you know, and I think he meant mentally. And that, you know, not to – not it meant any way to take a shot at his mental health. But just from the standpoint of like egos are involved. Yeah. 
that the idea that like he you know the way david west put it was the idea like you bring a, a guy with that sort of physical presence or just like presence generally bynum takes up a lot of space he was a pretty loud figure as far as you remember the hair and the way he left the lakers and the fact that he got hurt bowling there was so much other stuff if you remember that brief 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 time he had in philly where I don't even did he even ever play for Philly? No, he just remember. launched those threes in practice, I guess. And yeah, man, yeah. like it, it was a weird time. But basically, you know, David West basically said we messed it up before we even really got a chance that year in the playoffs because we, you know, our eyes were essentially bigger than our stomach. At least the front office was, and we had a roster that was good enough. And it, it just guys lost their attention span. Kind of was lost because. You know, I don't know. Either way, that team was fascinating. Like I've I've thought for a long time that uh that history could have looked a lot different, particularly if LeBron had not gotten the two titles in Miami because, you know, the Pacers had kind of dethroned them or what have you. But it was a really interesting period there. The Pacers yeah. this is a good place for them. Again, I don't think it'll be this year for them that they make it to the playoffs, but they uh it, you know, they're a team that does not have a history of tanking. And so it's been very interesting to see that, like, even in a year where I kind of thought that's what they were trying to do, uh, they look too good to do that. And maybe it's time to start thinking about them a little bit more seriously in the East and what we had. Just to put a bow on my Vogel story, he said, I think we would have won the finals that next year if Paul doesn't break his leg and we bring back Lance Stevenson. And I'm like, man, like, you think you would have beaten the Warriors in the 2015 finals? And he's like, that was the first year the Warriors won? I was like, yeah. He's like, never mind. We just would have made the finals. <laughs> God bless Frank Vogel, Frank man. Vogel, incredible, man. I love that dude. Um, but that, you know what? Comments like that, though, are exactly why, as we talk about, like, yo, what's wrong with the Lakers? And I, I remember Lowe saying this on his podcast at one point. He's like, you really think some Frank Vogel, Frank Vogel, who pushed those Pacers teams to seven against the Heat, the LeBron, Chris Bosh, the Wayne Wade Heat, and then won a title with the Lakers, who were flawed but got like all-time performances out of Anthony Davis and had everything come together at the, the right moment. You really mean to tell me that Frank Vogel, of all people, wasn't smart enough to you know to bring Russ off the bench? Or, like He knew to do that. It's that he's worried about the egos at play. He's worried mm-hmm. about being blamed for taking Russ's confidence away. He's worried about the the higher ups and the powers that be. He knew all that. And what I love about the, what you just said is just he's so plain spoken. Like he's yeah. blunt. He will tell you the truth. Yep. And that's what stood out to me is like he was like, yeah, like Roy, you have to evolve in this league. It's like evolve or die. And like Roy really couldn't evolve. He should still have a spot in the league, but like his style of play was not going to thrive anymore. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, he's saying this about a guy that I imagine he's close with that is out of the league. And it was the truth. So I, I will always respect him for that. Generally speaking, just being able to tell the truth, no matter the circumstance. Absolutely. Shout out to Frank Vogel. Shout out to the 2010s Pacers, a team that literally was raising my blood pressure to an unhealthy degree. Um, <laughs> Chris, that will do it for today's episode. Thank you again to all of our listeners, please keep your emails coming. Openfloormail at gmail.com. Our apologies for doing this episode a day later than normal. Some scheduling snafus. Um, yeah, go Miami Dolphins. We got another big one against the, the Los Angeles Chargers. To give you another taste of how deep in the rabbit hole I am, I might actually go to an NFL game. That's how 
that's how bleak it's gotten for me. You want to know how deep to bring this full circle? You want to? Know Are you going to go to the playoff in the the Michigan rabbit hole? So I'm not going to do that. Uh, I'm not going to go to the semifinal. I've got something really, really, really important planned that I can tell you about offline. Um, but if they win the semifinal, which they're favored to against TCU, I will go to. I already have a hotel room booked to go to the championship game. You're not going to crash LA. with me. You're not going to crash with me. Uh. Probably not, just because I'm a I'm a I'm an upstanding person that won't make assumptions that I could have your couch or a bedroom or anything like that. But we will we can make plans to hang out. There we I'm go. Sure I'll be in a good mood. Uh, but I also will have the playmaker do literally the night at, of the game. So not the best timing. Bro, I'll help you. I can go. Monday. I can ghostwrite the playmaker one week. Don't worry about it, bro. Hey man, this is what friends are for. You're yep. a good friend. Well, Joe, well, well, I'm looking forward to it. I'll be rooting for Michigan so that we can hang Thanks, out. Man. In LA, uh, Chris. Thank you. Shout out to our producer Shelby Royston. Um, we were hoping to do another Rip City Royston report soon. We'll get that on the books. Um, until then, everyone, please continue to enjoy the NBA season. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. So, should we go electric? I think we should go electrified with Toyota. Electrified? Electrified means options. Yes, we could go all electric with a Toyota BZ4X, but then there are hybrids like Grand Highlander. Or we could do something in between, like a RAV4 plug-in hybrid. So, Toyota is electrified diversified? Yep, and with more options for reducing carbon emissions, the closer we all get to Toyota's Beyond Zero vision for the future. Exactly how much coffee have you had this morning? Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done.